Today on the Basketball Manitoba podcast, we have a very special guest, Todd McCullough. Todd is a Manitoba basketball legend. For most, I don't have to read his bio, but for those that don't know, I still will. He attended Shaftesbury High School, where he helped lead the team to consecutive championships in 1993 and 1994. He was also a member of the Manitoba provincial team for four summers, including the 1993 Summer Games, where he helped lead Manitoba over a Steve Nash-led team British Columbia. He was heavily recruited out of high school and decided to play at the University of Washington. There, he was named All-Pac-10 first team and led the NC2A Division I in field goal percentage in his last three seasons. In 1999, he made Manitoba history by being selected 47th overall by the Philadelphia 76ers. He went on to play in the NBA Finals for two consecutive seasons. However, after four seasons in the NBA, he was forced to retire prematurely because of neuromuscular disorder that affected his feet. Internationally, he represented Canada 93 times. Uh, He won bronze in the 1995 Universad Games. In 1999, he won a silver medal at the FIBA Americas Championships and qualified for the 2000 Olympic Games in Sydney, Australia. In Sydney, Canada won its group, defeating Yugoslavia, but eventually lost to the silver medalist France in the quarterfinals and finished seventh. This is the last time the men's program has, been, has qualified for the Olympic Games. He rounded out his international career with a bronze medal in the 2001 FIBA Americas in Argentina. He's been a great supporter of the inner city basketball programs in Winnipeg for over 20 years, with a program that has seen over 10,000 children participate and still bears his name to this day, the Todd McCullough Hoop School. He is a Manitoba Basketball Hall of Fame member and Manitoba High School's Hall of Fame member class of 2009 and a Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame member class of 2014. Todd, welcome to the podcast. It's good to be here. That was quite the introduction. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Like I said, we have to make sure that everyone understands because, you know, what I'm about to say next is going to be shocking to some. Some people are going to smack me for even saying this, but um, I graduated high school two years after you were drafted. And this is like right around the time, obviously, in Canada, I really started getting to the NBA, but it also started to get really big, right? Vince Carter was really big. The, the Canadian networks really started to play games on TV. So, you know, my first memories of you was, was essentially, you know, watching Shaq do what he, what he did to every opponent. Uh, Sorry, you had to watch you know, that. Yeah, NBA finals. But I was proud to see someone from my small town, right, on national TV. Um, and so I want to talk more about this later. But really, I say all that just to say that's my first memory of you. Um, what are your first memories of basketball? Who got you into the game? Um, you know, who were some of those early mentors? Um, some of my, uh, some of my buddies, uh, you know, Chris Manalastis and, uh, and Mike Guthrie and Jeff Cron and Josh Laba and Colin Jones and um, just a, a bunch of my, uh, a bunch of my friends. Uh, they all, they all love basketball and I wanted to be around my friends. And so we were, we would play everything. I mean, I grew up playing hockey cause that's what everybody does in, in Winnipeg. <laughs> yeah. And then at some point I think you, you know, maybe you, maybe age out of it. I, I was the biggest guy, but I didn't feel like the biggest guy. You know, I, I think I, uh, I don't see myself as, is as big as I am. And so I think when I was 11, I was playing for the, for the twins and we were having a successful season and we won the cities and then we beat Brandon and we won, uh, we won the provincials and then everyone was excited about the next year. Cause we got the body check and they were, my teammates were excited <laughs> to hit people. And I was not excited about hitting everyone. And I realized that everyone wants to hit me. They want to check the big guy. And, uh, so I decided hockey was no longer for me. So that freed up a whole lot of time in my schedule and, uh, was on to the next season, whether it was soccer or volleyball or whatever and my friends want to play basketball and so being athletic and being tall and being coordinated um they always welcome me along and so i think the first team i played on was a ybc team through the uh through the ymca mm-hmm. and uh and i remember uh, chris manalastis was uh was on that team he was a high school teammate of mine at, at shaftesbury and um we had a couple of guys on the team. I don't remember their names, but they were the best players I'd ever seen in my life. And they, they carried <laughs> us and we had a good team. And 
I was like, someday I want to be like, like those guys. And I wish I remembered uh, who they were, but they, uh, <laughs> uh, they, they led the scoring on that team. And then, uh, then we had a good team at uh, Ben Wallaham was a, was a new school back then in, in Leonard Woods. And so that group of uh, players that we had played together on the YBC team, all of a sudden uh, Van Wallaham had a sixth grade team. And then that state team stayed together for seven. And then that team stayed together for eight and nine. And uh, all, all of a sudden now Shaftesbury had a feeder school that they didn't have uh, before. And so that's how, uh, you know, that's how I sort of fell into uh, to basketball. It, it was just, it was the next game. It was the next season. And then as I continued to grow, I think I was uh, six feet at the start of ninth grade and then six, six at the end of it. So naturally uh, <laughs> people always associate uh, height with basketball, also volleyball. Um, but those, uh, those two became, you know, pretty, pretty important to me. For so that's sure. how uh, that's how it started. I just I love to play games. I love to run, and and basketball was was what my friends were doing. And then we'd you know go get a Slurpee after uh, after practice. So it was as much a social thing as as anything. Yeah. So then, th- like early on, obviously you said that kind of that st- that team stuck together. You were playing with your friends. You were kind of moving up, going to Shaftesbury, and obviously you went on to play in high school. And Shaftesbury had great success. But along that that way, was it mainly just your friends that kind of kept you going? Or were there some key guys that kind of stepped in, coaches, um, you know, parents, other people that are like, hey, you know what, you, know, you should keep doing this? I guess the big question is, is when did it become, become like real more serious for you from like playing with buddies to like, oh, this is something that I'm actually doing? Uh, I think probably with, uh, you know, uh, Coach Doug Fraser and Richard Gooch and uh, just the great coaching that I had. Uh, Tony Chu as a as a freshman, uh, great coach. We had we had a lot of success on the freshman team. We, uh, you know that that team that we, uh, you know, Dale Bradshaw came in and did a did a great job uh, helping us, uh, you know, defensively. Um, and so we we had a, a core. And I I get a lot of the credit, and, and sometimes you know not enough credit is given to you know Colin Jones and and Jeff Cron and uh, lots of other uh, you know players on that team. Um, you know Murray Davidson. Mm-hmm. All those guys. And uh, and so I, I get a lot of the credit, but we had a really good team. And, and um, you know, we had, you know, uh, Ryan Fraser bringing up the, uh, you know, the point he just all in his right hand, but nobody could nobody could take the ball <laughs> away from him. And so we had a we had a monster defense. And for a while there, we did some platooning. So we had five on and five off and that kept us fresh. And that uh, we ended up going undefeated until the provincial final. We lost to Crocus Plains, I think, by one or two. And that was that was devastating. And I remember, uh, uh, you know, Greg Duclius uh, from Shaftesbury said, you know, that's OK, we'll we'll win it next year. And uh, and he was right. And so we, uh, um, you know, I just I think it was just, you know, the coaches believed in me. And at, at some point, I think uh, I may have played in three or four varsity games as a you know, as a, a 10th grader on the, on the, on the freshman team. Um, but I was, you know, mentally sort of scared. Like I, I can't play varsity. I'm, I'm, I'm too young. I'm too small, even though I was probably the tallest kid in the province, just mentally, <laughs> I didn't think I could compete with the varsity. And I went up and I didn't do particularly well in those games, but I, mm. I think I just needed to mature in my own time. And I, I think I just had to trust that, uh, you know, coach Frazier and coach Gooch believed in me. They could see the potential in me. Um, and then at some point, you know, started to get some interest from, uh, university of Manitoba, university of Washington. And I would go and watch their games and think, why are those coaches interested in me? I go and I watch, you know, those men play and I like, I, mm. I'll never be as good as those guys, but I, you know, that's sometimes I think it's hard to see, uh, you know, beyond just where you're at. Um, but that's, that's why, uh, those coaches were so important to me, um, to, to believe in me and, and know that, that I could be successful if I just kept, uh, kept, kept developing, uh, kept mm-hmm. developing and, you know, uh, coach Klappick and, and Randy Cassano in the summer playing for the provincial team. And so it was an all year thing. It was play for the school year and then it was play on the provincial team in the summer. So I had, I had good coaching uh, all year round and really benefited from really good coaches, really good people, really fun and, and love my teammates as well. So it, it made mm-hmm. playing basketball all year round an enjoyable thing and something that I wanted to continue to do. Absolutely. So then you went on, obviously at Chasper, you, you guys won back to back. Obviously you said like, Hey, in grade in the 10th grade, you guys came up short, obviously go back to back in those next two years. You win two championships, typically from everything. I've, I've never won a championship in, in anything, so I have no experience with this. But people who have won multiple championships tell me that the first one, they always have these special feelings about it. Like it's this fond memory, like it's ingrained in their mind. Is, is that is that true for you as well? It, it couldn't be uh, couldn't be more true. And uh, the first one was very special. And I, 
you know, after coming so close uh, freshman year and winning all of our games till the championship and then and then losing, I think I missed two free throws with 30 seconds left in the game and we ended up losing. Uh, and just having that sit with me uh, all summer, I couldn't wait to get back at it. And then uh, my, uh, you know, grade 11 year, uh, we had myself and, and uh, I think at this time I'm six foot nine and I think Murray Davidson is maybe six, eight. So we had the Twin Towers mm-hmm. and I think we went 0 and six. So we had great expectations, but, you know, based on their success as a freshman team. Um, but also with, you know, with Murray's size and, and uh, you know, Greg Duclius's three point shooting and defense and. Um, but I think we lost our first six games and everyone was trying to wow. figure out what was going on. So I think we just kind of had to put our egos in check and learn to play together and, and figure out how we could play with two big guys on the court and how, how do we, you know, how do we, uh, how do we stop teams? And, uh, and then I think we won the last 20. And so we played, we wow. went up against uh, Daryl Baptiste and, and Daniel McIntyre in the final mm-hmm. and they were the defending champions. And to me, I mean, they, they were the champs and I just, I wasn't sure I could really see us knocking them off they were they were very very good and daryl was an incredible player uh we were up by three with i don't know maybe three seconds left and for some reason jeff cron tripped and bumped into daryl while he was shooting a three who was an excellent free throw shooter and and he gets three free throws with a chance to tie it up with a couple seconds left and i i wanted to strangle jeff fortunately i didn't <laughs> um and uh and so uh, daryl i think may miss the first two and then made the third one and now we're inbounding with a few seconds left and everybody knows it's going to me i was i was the outlet on our press break and so uh the inbounder just threw it up super high and i jumped up and grabbed it and everybody was fighting for it and that killed enough time that the buzzer went off and i i've never had a a greater high in basketball than that moment when we were ahead by two the game was over we had dethroned the champs and, and forever we were going to be provincial champs. And, you know, I'm still able to, to talk about it 30, uh, yeah. 30 years later. And I ran around, it was an out of body experience. I felt lighter than air. I, I, I ran around the gym like a crazy person and um, <laughs> I've never, you know, whether it's the Olympics or the NCAA tournament, sweet 16, or even the, the NBA finals, nothing has captured how I felt like in my soul that, that moment. So I think my whole life I've been chasing for that, uh, wow. that basketball high and I've had some great experiences and I wouldn't trade any of them. Uh, but none of them, the elation that I felt and, uh, the emotion that I felt in that moment was, was really cool. And then to be able to share it with, uh, with a whole team and a coaching staff and, uh, Paul Arsenault, our, our amazing manager. Um, it was, it was incredible. Just, uh, it, it was something that will stick with me forever. And I was very proud that we won it. And then when we won it the next year, it was also fun. It was also great, but it, it wasn't, the same as that as that first mm-hmm. year when we became provincial champions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting because I've heard this from other people, and you know they went on to to play pro and they've won championships in their league, and they're just like it's not the same. There's something about high school, something about that time in your life, um, doing it in your community that just makes it that much more special and it ingrains on you. And again, of course, you're growing up, you're a young person, and th- those types of experiences become super special. But um, again, like I said, I have no idea how it feels to be a champion, so I'm gonna have to take your word for it, but. It's, uh, I'm, I'm curious because you had mentioned, uh, you, you mentioned coach Cassano and, and, and Klapik. Did they coach you in 1993 as well? Or who were your coaches that year when, in the, in the summer games? Uh, yes, they were, uh, they were the coaches and they, they led us to that victory against uh, Steve Dash's team. And that was another thing where, you know, we're Manitoba. We're not supposed to be British Columbia, particularly a British Columbia team that has Steve Nash. He was already yeah. a legend, you know, across Canada. We knew how good he was. And we, you know, we had a very good team as well, but I didn't know how we were going to beat a team like that. But, you know, uh, you know, Randy and, and Darren, they, they believed in us and they had a great game plan. And we had some, uh, you know, John Hannock and, uh, you know, uh, Jeff Jezzard and, um, um, Elliot Munger and Elliot Unger. And mm-hmm. anyway, we had, uh, we had, a, we had a really good team of, of really, uh, really tough guys and they, they weren't, uh, they weren't bowing down to anybody. And so that was a, that was a great, that was a great win. Well, how, like, how did we finish that year? I think, uh, we did, we didn't, I don't think we meddled. So we, uh, I think that was the highlight of, of that trip. Um, okay. and so I, I don't think, I think we lost, we lost to a tough Quebec team. And I, okay. I think Quebec was not rated as high as BC. So you sort of do the uh, yeah. transit property, you know, if you're better than yeah. this team. And um, so we probably should have beaten Quebec, but we lost. And I think that may have knocked us out of the, out of the middle round. And I think we, yeah. I think 
um, so it, it, we didn't end up on the, on the podium, but we certainly, uh, uh, we had some good wins, particularly that that one against. Uh, anytime you beat Steve Nash in basketball is a is a good of day. Of course, of course. I was gonna say. Obviously, went on to play with him later on. It was funny. Uh, you know, like Adam uh, puts up like the greatest games. He'll put up old old games, and this one game stands out. And I used to work in the basketball Manitoba office, so you know he'd throw them up, and they'd be on TV, or he'd be like rendering them. And you know, of course, tons of your games are on there. And one of them was, I believe, Oak Park, uh, Shaftesbury. I I believe I'm, I might be completely speaking at, at the wit. I think, but it's so funny to watch how they guarded you. And you know, I know <laughs> some of the players on those teams, right? I ended up playing, you know, in senior men's leagues against them and stuff. And like, they were literally double teaming you when you like the ball's there. And they're like, we're just going to double team you. And I was, it was unbelievable. Now, again, obviously back then, you know, nowadays you'd probably get punished from a three point shooting team and you would, the effect you would have in, in, now it would be 10 times more devastating because if you had any shooters, like a bunch of shooters on their team, you'd just letting it fly and you'd be getting re offensive rebounds. It'd just be devastating. But they're like daring the teams to shoot. They're like three meters off them and just kind of putting their hands up in the passing lane. And I was like, what is going on here? And I was, and again, not understanding at the time that the game was just a little different back then. And then obviously you're so, you know, you, you were just such a force. So it was like this double combination, but um, I say all that just to say, obviously you had a super, successful um high school career um you obviously playing with the provincial team you went to play at washington now you must have had tons of other schools recruiting you i'm just going to go out and assume that so who was recruiting you and then why did you choose washington uh so i i played on the summer provincial team with uh uh with uh randy sano and and Klapik, and we went down to phoenix arizona and uh we uh we played well and it was a lot of those uh a lot of those uh you know, same players from that, uh, from that provincial team. Mm-hmm. And I played well enough to get recruited by about 60 schools or so. So I wasn't expecting to anything to come out of that week. Just, you know, I'm with my teammates and we're in Arizona <laughs> and we're, you know, we're getting cooked in the sun and we were, you know, we were, uh, trying to hold our own, but I think we, we played against, uh, Rafe LaFriends who went on to a really mm-hmm. good uh, NBA career. So I think everyone in the That's world awesome. was recruiting Rafe. So they're all there to watch him. And then they see him, you know, he's, he was way better than me. He was always better than me, but I, I wasn't on anybody's radar. Rafe was on everyone's mm-hmm. radar. No one knew who I was. And all of a sudden, this, you know, 6'9", six, 6'10", six, kid from Winnipeg who seems to have soft hands and decent feet is solid. And, you know, Rafe is taking me out to the three-point line and dribbling between his legs yeah. and making me look silly, doing, you know, way, way better ball handler and, uh, and complete player. Uh, but all of a sudden, I was on everybody's radar. So everyone was asking, you know, Coach Klapik for all of my information and phone number. And it, it, it got to be so much, he just wrote it on a piece of paper and he held it out. And I think 60 coaches <laughs> scribbled it down. And the next thing you know, they were calling my parents and it was out of, out of nowhere. And like a teenage boy I don't think I called my parents that week I just you know I was just off and so I'm not I get home and my parents have a, a poster board of all the schools that had called and oh, written right. and offered scholarships and I was I was overwhelmed and they I think they were too so at lunch when my dad was off at work he would go to the library and research graduation records for these schools like how, as how many of them are serious about academics yeah uh, how many of them you know do they have a good program what are their coaches like you know what are their personalities and so they I think they whittled it down a little bit I think they told Arizona it was too hot I think they told UCLA you know he'll probably get buried on the bench and <laughs> Connecticut you're too far away and Duke you're too you know I wasn't recruited by you know Duke schools like that uh, you know, no Dukes and Kentuckys in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think maybe there were some schools where they just said, no, I think we just had to whittle it down to a working number. So I think they narrowed it down to 10. And then uh, I ended up uh, taking three uh, recruiting visits and it was uh, to uh, Washington, Notre Dame and Nebraska. And a lot of that was just based on the relationships I had over the phone with the coaches and who I sort of gelled with from a personality standpoint, because I wasn't really a college basketball fan. I didn't really know who was good. Mm-hmm. And in hindsight, um, you know, Washington, I think, was five and 23 that year. They were not good. They were one of the worst teams in the Pac-10. Um, so uh, in some respects, I'm glad I picked a school based on the personalities of the head coach, you know, Coach Bender and the assistant coaches and uh, Richie McKay and Ray Jacoletti and Eric Hughes. Um, you know, I still I still love all of those people. And I made a choice based on where I felt like home and I knew that my parents were going to end up on Vancouver Island and it was going to feel like home. And they came down to every home game for my junior and and senior years. And so 
uh, there was these things that I hoped would happen. I hoped that I could, you know, be close enough that they could watch me. And they did. And I hoped one day I'd look up into the stands and see a Canadian flag. And there was, there was a fan that uh, one of my last games was, was flowing, a flying a Canadian flag up there. And that was something that I, I wanted to see. So some of those things ended up uh, coming to fruition. So Washington just felt like home. Seattle felt like a Canadian city to me. Um, you know, a couple, couple hours and you're into British Columbia. So it, it feels, yeah. it felt, felt close to, to, uh, to my home country for sure. So, so suffice to, suffice to say your story would be very different if you don't go on that one trip. I think so. Yeah. I think I was, uh, you know, looking at university of Washington, looking at university, uh, sorry, looking at university of Winnipeg, looking at university of Manitoba. Uh, and then I, and then I think just from proximity, I was getting looks from North Dakota, North Dakota state. And I think I was thinking maybe I would, you know, take one of those and, and get a you know full scholarship and then be home to, for Thanksgiving and all those yeah. things. And after that Arizona trip, my world really opened up to me. Uh, and I didn't know if it would work out, but it was it was certainly worth a shot. And I had to try. And it was, uh, you know, it was a little it was a little scary. Um, but fortunately, you know, I was there with uh, there were six of us in the freshman class. I think we were mm -hmm. rated the 18th, uh, the 18th class in the country. Uh, Mark Sanford ended up getting drafted uh, from that class and we had some really good players and we were all in the same boat and we, we became, uh, you know, close friends. And I think that that bond uh, helped that team. And our, our goal was to make it to the NCAA tournament and Washington hadn't been since, you know, dead left shrimp back in 1986. So the goal was very clear. The goal was defined and, our coach, Coach Bender, had had taken Illinois State to the NCAA tournament. He was known as someone that could build programs, and he had a pretty pretty clear stated mission. And it took until my junior year, uh, but we but we did it. We made it to I think the the my first two years we made it to the postseason, went to the NIT. That's just not the same as NCAA tournament. And then uh, I think maybe we finished sixth, and the Pac-10 took five. And then the next year we finished fifth, and the Pac-10 took four. And then I think we had to maybe finish fourth or fifth in order to get in uh, my junior year. And we thought, while we're here, we might as well make it happen. We had nothing to lose. Everyone was, uh, you know, looking at a uh, six seeded Xavier and they were, people were saying, watch out for the six seed. They can go deep. And we just, we, we were so, our mission had been accomplished at that point, make the tournament. Um, so we just went out and played free and guys really stepped up and we ended up uh, winning by, I think we won by a point and I, it was, mm -hmm. it was, that was pretty close to that out of body experience where I, uh, I was so excited that we're now in the tournament. We won a game and I ran down and our, our radio guy, uh, uh, Bob Rondo, I went and gave him a big hug. So I, uh, I tend to run faster at the end of games. People didn't know, you know, I said, I, I didn't know you could run that fast, but I, yeah. I had so much emotion and so much adrenaline running, running through me in, in those. And then, uh, on the other side of the bracket, 14 seated Richmond had uh, beaten or 13 seated Richmond had beaten uh, uh, fourth seated South Carolina, some, somewhere in there. Anyway, we, uh, uh, we were going against a lower seed and it was, it was, you can only put so much in a number. I mean, you can use that to your advantage or you can use it as an excuse or, you know, the bottom line is it doesn't give that, that higher seated team any more points at the start of the game. But mentally, we thought that as an 11 seed, we should beat a, a 14th ranked team. And uh, and we played well against them. And then we made the Sweet 16 and uh, we got to go home to campus and the coaches are happy. The players are happy. The whole school's happy. It was probably the best week of practice we've ever had. Nothing to lose. And then we went up against a really tough Connecticut team that and, uh, and they took us uh, at the buzzer. And so that was a tough loss. But um, that that happens in a game of basketball. It can be frantic and frenetic. And it it turns out that. Uh, you know they were they were pretty good they were a pretty good team and uh, yeah. Rip Rip Hamilton turned out to be a pretty good shooter so <laughs> yeah, no, no surprise he made a jumper and you give those guys four chances they're gonna make one yeah exactly well it's it's so crazy because like you know you know this yourself but it's it, the 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 realm and recruitment has, it's changed so much right and so you know you had just mentioned like hey I went on this one trip and had I not gone on that trip you know maybe you go to NDSU or something or UND but or you go to Manitoba Winnipeg it's fine but nowadays you know, if you play out your exact same story, I mean, you probably playing at like a prep school, uh, you probably would have left after the 10th grade, potentially. Uh, this is what most people are doing now, right? And and people would have known who you are. So it is so interesting to to hear some of these stories. And I know even some of the people who, you know, before you in other parts of Canada, I mean, it's just like uh, the, the networks and connections just didn't exist back then. 
Um, and so it's, uh, it's crazy to, he, he's holding up your name on a sign. People are like, who is this guy? Right. And that, and I imagine back then being a recruiter was actually like finding diamonds in the rough. Right. So, you know, whoever, you know, you get to Washington, they're like, you know, that's a big pickup. Like you were completely unknown and they get you. Uh, and it's all because you went to this one tournament. Like, it's just, it's just crazy. And that would never be the case nowadays. Right. That's, uh, you know, they, they thought they'd got a good one. And, uh, you know, as a 6'11 junior, you know, uh, we win the provincial championship against Daniel Max, 61-59. I have 50 in the final, so I have a good game. That's who they recruited. Uh, senior year, I think at that point, I'm 6'11 and a half. I reached my full height. Uh, maybe my eating habits weren't the best. And mm. I, you know, I put on some extra weight. And so then Washington came up to watch me during the senior year. And I was not the same player. I was, I was heavy and out of shape and weak and mm. they're like what that's not the guy we recruited what happened to him so <laughs> so i get down to washington and they uh you know we go to the weight room to see where i'm at and i really hadn't focused enough on the weight room just being as big as i was i was strong enough for what i thought i needed to do and so i show up in birkenstocks and they were like yeah do you have running shoes i'm like yes i do i'll wear them tomorrow sorry <laughs> and so they like all right let's see where we're at big fella you know, they just center. So they put on 45s on the, on the, on the, uh, on the bar. So now it's 135 pounds. I want to see how many times I can do that. Right. Yeah. I can't yeah, do standard. it at all. I can't do it once. And they're like, wow. Okay. Let's go to 35s and I can't do that. And then we go to 25s and then tens. And then the next thing I'm, you no, know, I'm doing the bar. So 300 pound center, I'm crushing the bar and the rest of the team are all doing their work on. They're like, that's our center from Canada. Why is he only lifting the bar? Why is there no weights on that thing? So now my arms wow. are dead. And we go over to the military press, but my arms are jello from doing the bench max. And, you know, Coach Giacoletti kind of took me on as a project. And he was like, you know, I, I believe in this kid. I'm going to get the most out of him. So all the other teammates paired up with another teammate. And I feel like they would skip certain weight things on the on the weight schedule because they didn't want to do it. And I'm looking at them skipping the hard stuff and I don't get to skip it. And I'm feeling like I'm getting cheated. When in reality, Coach Giacoletti made sure that that he, you know, that I was going to be the, as good as I could be because he didn't let yeah. me cut any corners. And I thought I was being cheated. In actuality, um, you know, it's because he cared about me. and He knew how good I could be. And then, you know, now we're done with the workout. My arms are dead. It's time to run on the Burt Gilman Trail outside of campus. Oh, no. I run five miles. I don't like driving five miles. And so uh, the team starts off and they get to the end point. And I'm way behind them. And then they turn around and they pass me. And I'm thinking, what's the point of going to the end point if they're going this way? So I turn around and follow them. But then they just kind of leave me in the dust. Not, you know, I, I would have done the same thing. And mm. now my nose starts bleeding. So I take a leaf out of a local tree and I shove it up my nose to stop <laughs> the bleeding. And spit's coming out of my mouth. My arms are killing me. I'm dragging my foot like, uh, you know, like Igor. And I know that we're doing stadium stairs, the Husky football stadium after this. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking I couldn't go any faster I wanted. But by the time I get there, maybe they'll be half done with stairs. But no, I get to the end and they're sitting there waiting for me. And I think they're going to be laughing at me. And instead, they're cheering me on. They're like, come on, big fella, you got this. So they were encouraging me. Uh, then we go run the stadium stairs. Now my arms are dead from lifting. My lungs are dead from running. My legs are dead from the stairs. And they're like, OK, we're going to play pickup against uh, SPU <laughs> Seattle. So I'm like, right now, like one day. So now we go to I go to put my shoes on because you do that. And my arms give out and I, I hit the ground like I hit my head on the court because my arms, I couldn't support Come on. me. I, I could barely tie my shoes and now I have to stand up, but my arms don't work because they're so jello from the, from the work lived out. So I like, I, it took everything I had, I swear, to stand up. And I stood up and I was like, yes. And they're like, nice, big fella. You stood up. Good job. And so now we play two hours of pickup, but my arms don't work. So a rebound had to fall into my lap. And then I had to just shovel it to somebody just like point guard, come and take this. I can't throw it to you. So I, I heaved one up and scored one basket in two hours of pickup against D two guys. And then in the car ride home, I was like, guys, I'm not that much to talk about myself. Although I've been talking about myself here a lot. Um, I was like, I'm not as bad as you saw today. And they're like, no, of course not. And then later when they saw that I wasn't, they told me like, we thought you were the worst player we'd ever seen. <laughs> yes. Like we thought Canadians were bad at basketball. We don't know why they got you. Oh, we wasted scholarship. Um, but then as I, you know, I got better and hit the weight room and uh, coaches decided to redshirt me, which I thought made, uh, I thought that 
that they looked at me as a failure in a sense that that I had let them down, that mm-hmm. I was not as good as they thought, but they saw the potential in me and they thought if we sit him this year and redshirt him and he gets better and stronger, mm-hmm. think about how much better he'll be his senior year. And and they were right. And so in the in the scope of things, I was devastated because I thought it meant that they didn't think I was good. Um, in reality, they thought I could be quite good and that my that year would be better off at the end of my career. And, and they were absolutely right. And I was so much mm-hmm. better my senior year. That freshman year would have been a wasted year with my my need to condition. And, and some people talk about the jump from high school to college being uh, a big one. And then the jump from college to NBA, a bigger one. And they are. But for me, the adjustment, you know, to go from not lifting weights to to getting ready for Pac-10 basketball. I felt pretty ready for the pros, you know, leaving, uh, mm-hmm. leaving Washington just from a, a physicality standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Cause like you said, you redshirted your first year, you end up being all pack 10. Uh, you led the nation in, in field goal percentage, right? You guys obviously made deep runs. You went into the sweet 16. So at what point in your college career, did you actually know that you were going to get drafted? I think uh, my sophomore year, we played Michigan and uh, sophomore year, they still had two of the fab five left. Uh, you know, Jimmy King and Ray Jackson were still on the team. The other three had gone to the NBA. And so, you mm-hmm. know, those guys were famous. I remember I didn't really watch uh, college basketball until, you know, the fab five, really. And I remember watching, you know, Leitner hit that crazy shot against uh, Kentucky and mm-hmm. watching the fab five get all the way to the, to the finals. And now here I am playing against two of those guys that I'd watched and, um, I had a double double. I think I had 12 points and 10 rebounds and we, we lost by one, but I thought, okay, I'm, I'm a sophomore and I got a double double against, you know, Jimmy King, who's uh, you know, an, an excellent player. So I started to think that maybe, maybe there's a future for me. Maybe I've got a, uh, maybe I've got a chance. Um, and then, you know, things uh, I just started, I think I had 38 points in a game. That may have been my, that may have been my sophomore years. Um mm-hmm possibly my junior year. I can't remember. It was certainly wasn't my senior year. So I started to have some, some big games and um, you know, in terms of the field goal percentage, I just, I had learned in high school. I mean, you, you referenced that game against Oak park where I was, you know, being sandwiched front and back. So, you know, they were able to get the inbounds pass to me. So if I don't want to lose it, I can't put it on the ground. I mean, as big guys were taught to, to gather yourself and, and do a, you know, a one dribble drop step and power it up and gather yourself and I, every time I tried to do that, somebody would steal it from me. So I learned just, I got one guy in front of me, one guy behind me, I'm just going to turn and pivot and keep the ball high. And so that, and then that got reinforced that freshman year at Washington, we had a guy named Bryant Boston, who at that time was the steals leader in Washington history. And so all year, if I brought it down as a little guy, <laughs> he just, he took it from me and I got really tired of Bryant stealing the ball. So I stopped bringing it down and then there's nothing he can do. And the, so that, and then I think also, uh, I played volleyball through 10th grade at Shaftesbury. And I think just, I was not a setter, but everyone is expected to set the ball. So I think being comfortable with kind of a, the ball above my head and in volleyball, you're, you're in a vulnerable position, but since it's only your teammates on that side, no one's going to take you out. And so I think mm-hmm. in basketball, there's a perception that, you know, if you were to set the ball or you stood there and you're, you're just extended, you're, you're, you're weak or you haven't gathered yourself or you don't go up and dunk it. Um, but I think the volleyball experience made me comfortable with the ball above my head. Mm. And I would all, sometimes I would just kind of do a little bunny hop, get the ball, bunny hop, bring it down to my head and maybe just set the ball back in, whether it was, you know, a two handed layup didn't, didn't matter to me. So I think, I think volleyball really helped me to be comfortable with the ball above my head, feeling vulnerable. Like, you know, guys might take a shot at my core, mm-hmm. um, but, but they couldn't get at the ball. And so I think that, I think a lot of big guys just feel like I've got to go up strong and, and, and you should, but I think you, the, the goal is to put the ball in the net. So if you can catch a rebound and without bringing it back, have enough strength to just buddy hop it back in mm-hmm. that that's something that really helped me at, at every level. For sure. For sure. So then in, in that same note, like obviously, you know, you did get drafted 47th overall at what point, like did you was it a time and then you found out like hey you're likely going to get drafted or was it like you didn't even know at the time like are you sitting there waiting like is this going to happen because you're a later pick so typically it's up in the air at that point yeah so after after the junior year that I had where we went to the sweet 16 and I I think I had you know maybe averaged 18 and 10 or something over uh, and then in the second game my junior year I had 31 and 18 when we beat Richmond so I Mm -hmm. think that put me on the on the map of some uh, some scouts and so, and leading the nation in field goal percentage for three mm. years, my senior year, I was second in rebounding. I averaged 11.9. Uh, the, the leader was 12.1. Mm. 
So in my head, I'm the most accurate shooter, even though I'm only shooting from seven feet in, but I'm also a solid rebounder and okay at block. So I thought that would be enough to get drafted, even though, you know, I've, I've always, I'd always sort of battled with my, with my confidence when I was a freshman, I didn't think I would play varsity. When I played varsity, I didn't think I could play university. When I played university, I didn't think I could play in the pros. So I've always sort of, you know, wondered whether I belong or if I could play at that next level. Mm. Um, so I wanted to be drafted. I wanted my resume to be enough to be drafted, but I also wasn't sure if I believed if I was a GM, I don't think I would have picked me just based on my style of the game and whether it would translate to the NBA. But I was hoping that my book of work would get someone to draft me and, um, I don't know whether my, my draft stock went up or down my senior year. I, we didn't do as well in the tournament. We lost in the first mm. round. Um, my free throw percentage dropped to 58 because I got in, I got in my own head. Um, so I, I don't, I had a, you know, I had a strong senior season, but uh, I don't think I, I, I don't think I helped myself in terms of draft status. Um, mm. You know, I did have a, you know, a, I had the uh, Eric and Aaron Goodwin as my agents. So very good agents. And they were in talks with teams. I worked out for, maybe eight or nine NBA teams. And so that was a lot. And some of those went okay and other ones didn't. I mean, I, uh, I think this coach, coach Hill was the coach of the uh, Vancouver Grizzlies. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the workout, I was so tired from all of the drills that uh, coach, you know, Brian Hill, he had a kind of a, you know, a padded dummy that they, that you would play defense with. And he's not a particularly tall man, and he was defending me in the block, and I don't, I don't think I scored on him. Like I think I had ten tries, and I couldn't score on Coach Hill. So I was like, well, the Grizzlies are not drafting me if I yeah. if I can't <laughs> score on, uh, on Coach Hill. So that didn't go particularly well. Um, but I did think that I would get, I did think that I'd get drafted. I really hoped it would be in the first round. I wanted some security. I wanted you know a guaranteed contract for three years with the possibility of a fourth. But I didn't know if that would happen. Um, I wasn't invited to the draft. I, I don't know if they invite the top, you know, 15 or mm -hmm. 20 draft picks. Uh, I wasn't invited to to go. Um, I chose not to play in some of those pre-draft camps. I didn't I didn't want to play in them. I'd heard that maybe big guys don't shine, that it's kind of a, a point guards opportunity. Mm -hmm. Everyone's trying to get their own. Uh, my agents sort of agreed that they didn't think it would be the best light and that I, you know, I'd played for, you know, four years in college and that anyone that wanted to see what I could do or had done had the availability for that. And, uh, so I ended up not going the first round and I was, uh, I was devastated. I, I really wanted to be in the first round. I really wanted that mm -hmm. security. Um, I kind of wanted easy street and, uh, that was never, that hadn't happened before. And I'm, and I'm in hindsight, I'm kind of glad that it didn't happen, but I, I wanted that. And so mm -hmm. I was in tears. So I, I got drafted 47th, you know, 60 people are drafted in the NBA every year. And, and I'm, I'm crying because I'm sad because I'm disappointed at the expectations. I'm, mm. I, I wanted some security. And it, when you're a second round pick, I don't know about now, but back then you weren't guaranteed anything. You weren't guaranteed any uh, financial yeah. compensation. You were guaranteed to have your name in the books as being drafted by that team. And it sound, I found out later that the Sixers did not have a plan to keep me that I wasn't part of their, their plan over the next few years that I could go to Europe and play. And if I developed and matured and improved, then they would have my rights and maybe they would consider me for the future. Um, so they let me play with team Canada and I showed up at camp sort of devastated in a shell of myself, even though I'd been drafted in the NBA, I, I didn't, I wasn't believing in my skills at that time. Now I'm playing with the guys and Steve Nash and all of a sudden basketball is fun again. And we mm -hmm. go down to Puerto Rico to try and qualify for the Olympics. And we beat Argentina and we beat Brazil and we beat Mexico and we're rolling. And now all we have to do is, um, you know, is beat Puerto Rico in Puerto Rico. And unfortunately, I uh, the enormity of the moment, I didn't think that I could make the NBA when I was a kid, but I thought I could make Canada's national team. I thought I could uh, help them to the Olympics. And now we're one game away. And the enormity of that moment kind of uh, overwhelmed me. And I, I kind of got a little bit paralyzed and I felt really bad that I was letting down the team and the coach and the country. Uh, fortunately, Steve Nash uh, went the other way instead of playing like normal Steve Hat Nash high level. He took it a notch further and he carried mm -hmm. us to victory. And all of a sudden we are now in the Olympics and I am happy that, that my poor performance hasn't hurt us and that we get to play in the Olympics. And the next uh, game is against uh, the U.S. in the final, but Canada and U.S. have secured a berth to Sydney. Yeah. So I go into the game with a completely different mindset. You know, I, I was I was so overwhelmed and so paralyzed with the enormity of the moment 
now uh, our mission is accomplished. Go have fun. So you're going up against Kevin Garnett and Tim Duncan and Alonzo Mourning. You know, yeah. You're, yeah. you're Todd McCullough from Winnipeg. So what do you, you know, do the best you can. And we lose, I think, by 28. And I get home. And Peter Grashi, my my roommate, says, "Hey, there's a there's a message for you on the phone, and it's my agent saying, uh, nice game, 22 points and 16 rebounds against the Dream Team against uh, Coach <laughs> Brown. Uh, you are being offered a two-year contract for the Sixers, and so welcome wow. to the NBA. So it, it really taught me a lesson about you know getting out of my head and trying to make things um, so important." Um, and, and they are, but it was, you know, trying to, trying to realize that this is a big game, but not to, uh, overwhelm myself. And then going forward, taking that attitude of like this, this is a game, go have fun. And the results are going to be better if I don't put that much pressure on myself. Mm. Um, and anytime you're playing with Steve Nash, the game just gets easier. So I mm -hmm. highly recommend it. If you can play basketball <laughs> with Steve Nash, I highly yeah. recommend it. Especially yeah, as a big guy. Yeah, I was gonna say they say a lot of people have uh, owe him a lot of money. Apparently, that's that's I, the I owe I owe I owe Steve some money. That, that's for sure. I owe him some money. Well, I, you know, you kind of started getting into the the Team Canada stuff, and I, I have a few questions that I'll save for later about the NBA. But you can tell some stories. But with with you, you end up going to the Olympics, um, and like we mentioned in in the intro, there you guys you you end up winning your pool um, with that team, right? And I remember watching. This, like obviously, like, like I said, we also haven't been to the Olympics on the men's side since that day. It's 2023, right? So, um, obviously, hoping for some positive stuff up and coming here. I'm wearing my Canada basketball shirt right now. I'm a big supporter. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I'm a big supporter of the program um, and always have been uh, since I started getting to basketball. So, I mean, really, really, just generally, like, what do you remember about that experience? I mean, everything, opening ceremonies. Did you attend it? Um, just like that, I guess that's the only one and only Olympic Games you've ever been to. Um, you must hold that uh, dear in your heart. Um, obviously, a very special team as well. Yeah, it was it was incredible. Uh, from you know, from Coach Triano to 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 Steve and to all those other teammates. You know, we were we were brothers, and we spent so much time with each other over that summer and over every summer. Um, but I think we all looked forward to it, and this was something that we all wanted. I think uh, 1988 was the time before when Canada had been, and that was that was uh, Jay Triano in '88 and '84. Mm -hmm. So he believed in us. He knew it could be done and he knew how special it was. So when we got there, he's like, you know, guys, we we've got a game coming up. Um, you know, we will be on our feet, but I recommend we do the opening ceremonies if everybody wants to do it. And he was like, this is a, an experience you'll take with you for the rest of your life. And so he really wanted us to have that. And so it was incredible. And, um, you know, Sydney, Australia, wonderful city, wonderful country, wonderful people. And so I couldn't, I couldn't, if I had to pick a city to play in the Olympics, it probably would have been Sydney, Australia. They're a wonderful host. And we had gone over, I think Australia didn't think that we were going to the Olympics in, in 99. So earlier that summer, they had maybe flown us over to play them in four exhibition games all across Australia. Mm -hmm. And we got into some scraps because you, you start seeing the same team night in, night out. There's going <laughs> to yeah. be some uh, some physicality. And uh, I think they'd beaten us in, in most, if not all of those games. And so when we played them in the first game in the Olympics and, and shocked them, surprised them, I think it opened up a lot of people's eyes. And then we uh, we went on a roll and we beat beat Spain and we I think we played Angola and um, we were doing you know very well. Um, and then we uh, went up against a, you know, a tough Russian team. And I think we sort of missed uh, as well as we were playing. And we, the whole goal was don't finish fourth, you know, six teams in mm -hmm. each side. If we finish fourth, we're going to cross over and, and play the USA. And uh, mm -hmm. that was that was going to be a tough match. So the goal was finish one, two or three. And as well as we were doing, we just kind of had to not lose by 14 against Russia. So we kind of went in with the wrong attitude. Uh, I think if we'd gone in with the right attitude, I think that was a winnable game. But we kind of took our foot off the gas a little bit. And then I think we ended up losing by 14. And we weren't sure what that meant in terms of the plus four and against algorithm. And it ended up with a mathematical formula that said that maybe Australia, uh, you know, gets in Canada. They assumed that we would lose to Yugoslavia. So that would have put us in the fourth spot. And some newspaper had written, you know, Canada will lose, Australia. they'll lose to Yugoslavia. They'll finish fourth and they will be limited by the Americans. And so, you know, the coach was, Coach Triano was like, well, let's go and, uh, you know, forget this reporter. Let's beat Yugoslavia. Let's finish first in the pool and let's, let's play somebody else. And so that's what we did. So I think we surprised a lot of people by beating a world power like like Yugoslavia. And uh, and then unfortunately, we went up against a really tough French team. And I think we ended up losing by losing by five. So that was the crossover mm -hmm. game, the quarterfinal that would have gotten us into the middle round. So things were going really, really well 
uh, until uh, until that game. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. you 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 know, we ended up with a record of five and two. So did uh, France, and they ended up with a silver medal. But we we yeah. lost that game that you just that quarterfinal is is a killer. It's a must win, and yeah. we just couldn't we just couldn't get it done. And so great experience. You know, it was so amazing to represent Canada with those guys uh, in that city. You know, my wife got to, to go down and be a part of it. And lots of our family members uh, took advantage of how special that moment was. And, and the fact is, we haven't been back since. So it, it makes it even even that much more special knowing, you know, just thinking uh, only 12 teams. Basketball is a world game. Lots of countries mm-hmm. are good at it. So just to be one of those 12s is a big accomplishment. But our Coach Triana was good about, guys, it's not enough for us to be there. We're going to go there and we're going to compete. And we're going to try and win a medal. So let's let's readjust our goals now that we're in. And um, so I, I have very fond memories of that time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so just going back to the, the NBA here, I, I have to ask, I mean, again, you could tell this any way you want, tell a story. I mean, again, as I opened up the, the, the podcast questions, like, again, I remember you having to guard Shaq. And again, there wasn't a single person who could do it. So it's not like, hey, you know what? He's dunking on you. That's kind of what he did his entire career. It's one of his, why he's one of the all-time greats. But you also got to play with Iverson. And you also got to play with Jason Kidd. Um, you've got to play with a bunch of NBA players and a bu- against a bunch of NBA players. So, I mean, maybe just, you know, again, the floor is yours kind of to like, you know, kind of talk about what you'd like to talk about. Again, you played in back-to-back NBA finals as well. Um, you kind of had a, I mean... An anomalous career would be the best way to put it. Like you're you're starting, you're starting in one NBA Finals. You're playing uh, with really good players, um, and you only played four years in the NBA. Um, it's kind of it's kind of hard to say. Like you know, you're you're. So my, I guess my question is: is what's it like guarding Shaq? Uh, what's it like playing with Iverson? I mean, again, I could ask so many questions, and for the sake of uh, of all of our time, I'm not going to be able to answer them. So, I mean, you've people have asked you these questions before. So, what's your take when I just throw all that on you? Um, I feel very fortunate to have made it to the NBA and that even though I only played for four years that I got to play with, you know, uh, legends like Iverson and Jason Kidd and then got to play against guys like Shaq and, and Michael Jordan at the end of his, his career and got to guard Patrick Ewing and got mm-hmm. to guard Akeem Olajuwon, got to guard Charles Barkley. So all of these guys that I looked up to and watched. Um, and fortunately, some of them were towards the end of their their career. Um, you know, Shaq and Kobe were right in the prime of their mm-hmm. career when we met them. And so I was, you know, I was trying to uh, guard Shaq and, uh, you know, a shot from the opposite baseline is probably yeah. going to if it misses, it's, you know, I, I, I'm trying to play the, you know, the the numbers of where the ball's going. So I feel like I'm in perfect rebounding position. I have Shaq on my back, you know. You, you try and use those same principles. You find your man, you box him out, you put a body on him, and then you go get the ball. So I'm in perfect rebounding position, Shaq on my back, ball misses where I think it will. It comes right to me. So well, I guess be, I'll, I'll preface this by I had a teammate named Pepe Sanchez who was yeah. uh, played at Temple. He was a sixer teammate of mine. He and I spent a lot of time on the bench together, so we, we, we had some bench chats. And Shaq was getting all of our big guys uh, into foul trouble. Tyrone Hill was in foul trouble. Matt Geiger was in foul trouble. Theo Ratliff was in foul trouble. Mm-hmm. So Pepe said, hey, get ready, man. Uh, you know, you got to go in there pretty soon. But uh, careful. I think Shaq's going to hurt you. I'm like, he's not going to hurt me, Pepe. He's like, I think he's going to hurt you. <laughs> and I go in. And so I jump up for this rebound. And Shaq jumps up higher and faster. And he gets the ball. And he inadvertently catches me with an elbow, yeah. like right in my yeah. clavicle. And I just. I don't know, it pinches a nerve in my neck and I buckle to the ground. I just go down, I just collapse and he goes and dunks on somebody and gets an and one and the coach is yelling at me and Pepe's laughing and I'm like, Pepe, stop laughing. He's like, I told you he'd hurt you. <laughs> coach is I'm like, sorry, coach, what'd you say? Um, and then I was a, you know, a scorer. I didn't like to share the, the basketball. So I had four assists my freshman year in uh, college, five assists my sophomore year. I mean, for the whole year. Um, and so if I got the ball, I was trying to score it and I forgot Shaq was guarding me. So if I got the ball, I, I went into my steps, you know, I took a dribble to the middle and I'm going into like a sweeping left hook. And while I turned, I could see Shaq guarding me He's a very good defender, very good shot blocker. And it's too late. Like, you know, now I think everybody it's the game is different, right? You've got your three point mm. shooters and you know, where your outlets are. And if you get into trouble, I know we've got a guy there. I know we got mm-hmm. a guy there. And I just, I never looked to pass the ball. If I made a move, <laughs> I was going to finish the basket. So I realized halfway through my steps, I'm locked in. I forget Shaq is guarding me. I don't know why I'm being the aggressor in this situation, um, but I go up with a sweeping running skyhook like Jabbar. I don't probably didn't look like Jabbar. <laughs> 
Um, but it just misses the tips of Shaq's fingers and it goes off the backboard and it rolls in and I'm as stunned as anybody. <laughs> and we run down the court and Shaq is like, Hey man, that was a nice shot. I was like, sorry, it won't happen again. I didn't. Have any <laughs> bad. So he, you know, he was a, he was a, a class act. And I think uh, we played them with the nets in the finals mm-hmm. and, and they beat us, uh, you know, twice in LA and we come home to Jersey and at the end of the game, they beat us again, and he's getting on the team bus, and the valet has brought – I used to have a 1997 Porsche, nothing nothing special. I probably mm-hmm. shouldn't have – it was too small for me, but I wanted <laughs> one. And Shaq recognized that it was just too small for me, so the, the valet leaves the door. I'm about to walk in, and Shaq's like, Todd, what are you doing? And I was like, I, I don't know. Like, I'm a little starstruck. You know, sh- you know, Shaq and I are in the same court, but – He's yeah. a big, massive, larger-than-life personality who I've looked up to and and, and uh, incredible uh, personality and player. So I don't know what to say. So I was like, ah, that's, uh, that's my car. I got to go home. He's like, that's not your car. Valet made a mistake. Have him bring your car around. I was like, uh, I got to go buy Shaq. So I jump in my car and I drive home. And then we play him center circle. We're jumping game four uh, of the finals. And Shaq looks at me and he's like, uh, be careful. And I'm like, what, what do you mean be careful? He's like, careful driving home in that little car i don't want to see you get hurt i was like i think it'd be so funny right now like we're playing a game uh, you know just oh, playing man. with uh playing with iverson was a was a ton of fun he was such a uh such a competitor and uh you know i don't know we we were playing i think we were in toronto and we somehow we had a 2-1-0 break and i don't know i could you know he had lots of one-on-oh breaks and i don't know how it was him <laughs> and i with nobody behind us but he was in a scoring race and for some reason he gave the ball to me and i I knew I had to make it, and so I ended up dunking. It. But I thought, you know, how fun is this? I'm out on the break with Ellen Iverson. Iverson yeah, yeah. There, and he, he gave me the ball. So he was just, uh, you know, such a such a fun guy. And I talked to him after the game, and I'd, I'd be like, you know, Alan, we uh, we we combined for 48 tonight. I you had 44, <laughs> I had four, so I thought we did a pretty good job. <laughs> and, um, so he was he was just a ton of fun to play with. And uh, Jason Kidd was a, a great leader in in New Jersey. We would warm up, and the coach, the uh, trainer, would say, you know put the ball in your right hand and then put your ball in the left hand. Then he'd say, put your ball in the, in the weak hand. And Jason Kidd would just run behind the basketball bouncing. Like, Jason, what are you doing? He's like, I don't have a weak hand coach. (laughs) I got a left hand. I don't have a weak hand. And so he was, he was so good with either, either hand. And I was known as somebody that could catch the ball. And, you know, first day of training camp, I think Jason Kidd had a no look that I was ready for. I thought, and I dropped it. And one of my teammates was like, come on, man, that's Jason Kidd. You got to be ready. And in my head, I'm like, I dropped one pass. I was ready. <laughs> I, I made sure not to drop too many more because I wanted Jason to keep finding me. And I was like, yeah. I, I can catch the ball. Let me drop one pass. It's training camp. And I, yeah. I did not try and drop too many more of those. And uh, <laughs> with Iverson, you didn't you didn't want to drop too many passes either. Yeah. You wanted most of those opportunities. So well, yeah, I just, you, were, you, know, weren't, you weren't getting much with him. So you, you have to be ready. You, and you know, I'm trying to. <laughs> I'm trying to guard uh, Hakeem Olajuwon when he was with the Raptors toward the end of his 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 uh, career, mm. and I for some I've never done the dream shake in my life, but because Hakeem was guarding me, I'm giving him the dream shake, and, <laughs> and I fade, and it would have been so pretty and clang off the background. I'm like, man, I blew my dream shake uh, against uh, Hakeem, and it just didn't uh, it didn't go in. And then uh, my dad was watching. I was playing. Uh, you know, Barkley was with Houston towards the end of his career. Yeah, yeah. And my dad was watching the broadcasters were the Houston ones and, and they said, you know, watch Barkley take this rookie to school. And Barkley shot a shot and I blocked him. And uh and they I think they said that I had, you know, no respect for my elders and uh and no respect for history. <laughs> and then uh I think Barkley on the next trip down the court, he blew his patella tendon and he was he'd already said oh. that was gonna be his last year. So I started thinking, did I just block the last shot that Barkley would ever take? And that was their game. You were that was against you guys. Uh, yeah, that was when he when he had that that injury. Yeah, and uh, yeah. it came when he when he crumpled he, his head, his forehead hit my shin and bruised my shin. That's how uh, that's how oh, hard wow. he hit the floor. Uh, wow. But he didn't want to be carried off in his last game, so yeah. he uh, he rehabbed and he he walked on later in the year. Got yeah. a basket or two, got a rebound, and walked off under his own power. So I, yeah. I didn't block Barkley's last shot, but uh, <laughs> I did try. <laughs> so but we gotta ask though how tall is iverson for real six feet and a half maybe i mean maybe? he's listed, okay. listed at six one but i don't know he's uh not that tall but he's i mean in in practice he he drove baseline and i think i thought he was gonna dish it to somebody 
And then he just jumped straight up and then dunked it right on, right on my head. And I was sort of surprised because I hadn't seen him do that in practice before. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, didn't you ever see any highlights of me at Georgetown? I got hops. I'm like, no, I, I knew you could do that. I just wasn't expecting you to just jump straight up yeah. and dunk right on me. So he, uh, he was so, so talented and so fast and, um, yeah, he was, he was a special, uh, special player. It was just, just fun to be around and he, he wanted to win so bad and it was yeah. fun to just, just ride his coattails. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. So obviously again, four years, uh, short career, but lots of memories. Um, it obviously got cut short because of that neuromuscular disorder. Um, but I, I think I just wanted to kind of bring this up real quick because, you know, obviously nowadays, um, you know, mental health and all this stuff is, it's very like the buzzwords. People talk about this stuff all the time. It's very commonplace. Um, but really the question is, is how difficult were those times for you and like mentally and emotionally to go through that? You're playing, um, you're just starting to get good and you're playing in the NBA. All these great things are happening. And then all of a sudden you're being told like you can't play anymore. Yeah, it was it was really tough. You know, I hadn't uh, I had never, you know, suffered depression in, in my life. Things have been going uh, pretty well for me. Um, so it was very difficult to just have, you know, foot problems that were, uh, you know, tough to explain. And, you know, with, with sports, you usually talk about injuries, whether it's a broken leg or it's a knee surgery or it's an ACL or it's an elbow, there's a, there's a time limit. Like he's got this injury, he's out for this long of the season. And when I'm seeing these neurologists, no one's able to give me a window mm. or say like, this maybe may not be reversible. Like this may be with you forever. This may be the end. No one really wanted to say it, but no one was putting an end date on this thing. Uh, how do we fix it? So it was, it was very difficult just not knowing. And then just, you know, having it be pretty invisible and not having crutches and not having a cast and just mm-hmm. having this, you know, injury or this problem, something to keep me off the court and, and not really being able to explain it very well, or it was, you know, it was kind of misunderstood and perplexing. Um, and then just, I think just the persistence of it and just that with, with nerve injuries, they're different than musculoskeletal. And uh, even if mm-hmm. you're sitting there with your feet in an ottoman, doesn't really take the nerve pain away. So there's, there was really no way to get away from it. And that takes its toll on you, on you mentally. Um, and I was just in a, a great position where I was on a team. I really liked, you know, you work so hard to get somewhere. Um, and then I was really starting to get my confidence. I mean, by the time I was a net and I was a starter and that team went to the finals, I felt like mm-hmm. I was, I was an important member of this team and I, I have my confidence and I do feel like I belong um, and I was just starting to get that and then got traded back to the Sixers and and started for half a season. So I felt like now I've started for two teams and I really do belong. And all of a sudden I couldn't couldn't play anymore. So it was very difficult. And I think uh, fortunately, what was really good for me was the Sixers asked me if I wanted to be part of the radio broadcast team. And I started mm-hmm. working with Tom McGinnis and that kept me uh, in the game. It kept me I still got to stay friends with my teammates. And now I got a new family and the broadcasters yeah. and I get to travel and be with them and, and not really be not have as much time for my own headspace. I had a job to do. I had to talk about the games. I had to forget about my own situation and i think over the course of the next five years it just helped me uh get ready for the next phase of my life you know which was uh you know my wife and i and having having kids and starting the next chapter so that transition zone uh that that broadcasting allowed me uh put me in a much better place for the for the second half of my uh second half of my life absolutely absolutely yeah and i think i wanted to bring that up just because i know like a lot of people struggle with the you know the classic injuries and sometimes they're career ending as well and i think just uh understanding that transition that, you know, you took place and hearing those stories can, can help a lot of people uh, when their basketball, you know, career is over or that uh, journey for them is transitioning. Maybe it's not over, but they're expressing it in a different way or experiencing it differently. So like you said, with, for you, it was broadcasting other people, it's coaching, um, you know, lots of different ways to kind of stay involved in the game. Um, you've told us so many stories. I, I, like, I usually ask a question, funny basketball story, mem- memorable basketball story. I think you've, I think we've kind of covered all those um, unless something uh, <laughs> pops up that you want to share. Um, Cause I've pretty much come to the end here. I just have one final question. So is, is there any questions that you haven't shared any uh, things that you haven't shared yet that are memorable or funny that you would just have to share? If someone said, Hey, tell me your funniest or most memorable basketball story. Uh, there was one uh, we were, we were in uh, Detroit. And so this is just, this is just a reminder for basketball players to always pay attention always be listening in the timeout, you know, <laughs> don't let your attention wander. And, you know, right. As a, as a rookie, 
we had five five big guys and i was either you know fourth or fifth on that uh, depth chart and so there was a lot of games where i just didn't play so sometimes mm-hmm. i'd feel like well maybe it's not that important that i'm listening to this timeout because what's the point i'm not gonna play but it's just a reminder to always be ready so we're playing in detroit against the pistons and in the palace and there's the mascot is up on the upper deck with a toboggan sled and he's yeah. gonna sled <laughs> down the aisle and yeah. I can't take my eyes off him, but there's a timeout. So I got to pretend like I'm looking, but I don't want to miss <laughs> this guy. And Matt Geiger comes over to yell at me. And he's like, dude, check this guy out. This guy's so crazy. I love this mascot. And I was like, okay, I thought you were going to come over here and chastise me and tell me to watch the timeout. But he was like, dude, this mascot is insane. We've got to watch this. I'm like, I love the NBA that you can, uh, you, know, um, you got to, you got to pick your moments. And then I, know I didn't learn my lesson then. And in the playoffs, you know, I, I didn't play in the first round. Uh, I think we beat the Pacers in the first round and then uh, we beat the Raptors in that, in that really incredible series. And then we go up against Milwaukee and I don't think I played in those first two series. So I just assumed I'm not going to play in this third one. Mm-hmm. Why would I? So I'm not listening in the timeout in Milwaukee. And for some reason, coach puts me into the game after the timeout, he calls the play diagrams that I'm not watching. And he's like, Todd, get Geiger. And I'm like, I don't want to be like, Hey coach wasn't listening, draw the plane play. Yeah. And what do I do? Um, so I thought I could just figure it out because most of our plays I'm lifted on the right. So I just thought I'll just start lifting on the right and coach I'm in the complete wrong place. So he's like, Todd, what are you doing? So I'm like, Oh, maybe I'm supposed to be lifted on the left. So I run to the left and that's not it. He's like, Todd, what are you doing? So now I'm like, I have to get the rebound. So I've never had more desire in my life. Somebody shot it and I knew they'd miss. So I pushed everyone out of the way and I got the rebound and I went back up and I think I got fouled and I think he kept me in the game, but I was like, especially in the playoffs, you should always listen to the coach's timeouts. Um, you know, I thought maybe he should have subbed me in before then I could have known yeah, to uh, yeah. pay more attention, but that's on, that's on me. That's not on him. Uh, oh, too much. Okay. Well, we're pretty much coming to the end. I've taken, I think more than an hour of your time and I appreciate it. I just have one last question. Um, Typically, I ask for advice, but that's not what I'm going to do with you because one thing we haven't talked about is is the, the Todd McCullough Hoop School. And so really the question is, why is it so important for you to kind of stay involved in Manitoba basketball? Like, I know you don't live there anymore. Um, you've spent a short time there considering how long, you know, you've, you've lived at this point. Um, so why did you want to uh, stay connected? And, and tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, the, the connection to the school and, and kind of how it was uh, founded. Well, uh, you know, Adam, uh, Adam Wedlake has been uh, phenomenal to to work with. And, you know, I love growing up in, in uh, Winnipeg and Neil Taylor was one of my uh, coaches with the provincial team and someone that I, I still talk to. And um, it was an incredible coach. And and uh, it was sort of his suggestion. He's like, hey, you know, you know, here's a way that you could be involved with, uh, you know, with basketball Manitoba and the city. And uh, I think Garth McAlpine uh, wrote the wrote the program. And I, I, I love the concept and I loved the fact that it was kind of going to be almost like a summer basketball camp experience. But, you know, through throughout the school year and maybe some schools that maybe might not have had an opportunity to, to attend some of those camps. You know, I had a great time at basketball camps in the summer, but it would have been fun to have something throughout the school year and then to have mm-hmm. it end up in a, in a jamboree. So um, I just I thought it was a great suggestion and something that I was uh, completely uh, in support of. And then just to see, you know, how it's grown and how much those initial schools enjoyed it. And then how basketball can uh, basketball Manitoba was able to take that template and then apply it and, and expand it. And so um, it just, it made me happy to see that something with my name on it, that the kids really, uh, enjoyed. And, mm-hmm. and I, I sort of stressed, I wanted it to be fun and they've made it fun. And, and that's part of why the program has been so successful and why it's been able to, you know, affect, uh, more schools and, and how it's grown and how basketball Manitoba has thrown their support behind it. So it's something that I'm, I'm really, uh, really proud of. And, and, uh, I always get the updates from Adam on, on how well it's gone and how much the kids enjoyed it. Um, and so it's something that I'm very proud to, uh, to lend my name uh, and support towards because it's, um, uh, you know, a lot of kids have had a great experience and I think they've gotten better at the game. They've had fun. And that was always a really important ingredient to, to me that they're, that they're enjoying it and that the, uh, the coaches enjoy the process as well. Mm. Well, it's, 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 it's a great way to kind of wrap because typically when I ask for advice, people give advice that is an expression of their uh, story, but this program is the expression of kind of your journey and, and what you kind of found through basketball. And the one thing you said when you were talking about some of the, some of your experiences there, you know, when you said, Hey, when I just play, play for fun, I have fun out there and I just take the pressure off and it's just about fun. I used to do, I play pretty well. 
right? And I think, you know, you went on to tell a bunch of funny stories and experiences that you've had. And I think that's, um, you know, you mentioned Todd Mack, Hoop School, kids have fun like three times, right? And that's probably the number one priority in that thing. And, and, and it's interesting in, in hearing your whole story. That's something that you clearly prioritize with basketball is that it's an outlet for people to enjoy themselves uh, first and foremost. And anything that comes after that is, is gravy. That's uh, that's exactly right. And so I've just I've I've been a kid my whole my whole life. Even though I'm uh, going to be 47 here soon, I've got kids of my own. I've always just tried to have fun, and I think it's it's helped me in life. And uh, and I think it's it's a way to just you know have positive endorphins uh, running through your body. And I think it mm -hmm. keeps you young. Um, and I just think basketball is a great game, and only such a small percentage of people ever go on to play professionally. Um, that I just think you should, you know, and I still have lifelong friendships, you know, from my teammates in high school and college and the NBA. And so I think that's what it that's what it should be about. And if you can take it further and you can play the game longer, um, go for it. But I think uh, at the grassroots program, uh, you know, if you're if you're you know, my son's playing on a basketball team right now. My daughter's playing on a volleyball team and uh, they're they're great experiences that I think they're going to have with them uh, with them forever. So I keep saying that word uh, fun, but it's uh, it's something that's that's been working for me. So I'm going to. I'm going to keep uh, searching that out. Absolutely. Well, I, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time. I'm, and I might add from the car, uh, we <laughs> had zero connection issues. The sound is great somehow. And the camera angle is perfect. And, and somehow I, we're I doing it on the side of the road. We're on, I don't know where I you are. I think we're on to something. You, you Maybe know, that's, what it, request that's the new format. Be, uh, in, the, in the car, <laughs> you know, cars and coffee with comedians and basketball. There you go. There you go. Well, I appreciate you taking the time, uh, Todd. And uh, like I said, uh, you know, you know, all the people you've played with in Manitoba, you've had a, a huge success, uh, uh, sorry, a huge effect on all these people. I'm um, again, you know, I'm, I'm a product of some of your success and I know people who have been part of the Todd Mack Hoop School. Um, so thank you for taking the time and um, yeah, take care. And uh, hopefully uh, you continue to have these connections with Manitoba moving forward. Well, thanks a lot. And uh, look me up when you're in the Seattle area. Let's hang out. Absolutely. All right. Take care. Okay. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Please like, subscribe, follow, and share this series, and reach out to us with your comments on the show. Thanks again for joining us.